all heard any of those um, testimonies that are super inspirational, right? Like the guy that goes and becomes an alcoholic, and then he goes down to the dumps, loses his family, and finds his way at church. If you've heard those, that's not me, okay? Just going to forewarn y'all, that is not my story. I was actually raised in a wonderful household. I have a wonderful mom, a wonderful dad. I'm going to go over everyone in my family real quick so y'all kind of get familiar with them because they don't live here in Auburn. They did, but they moved. Um, I've got my mom and my dad. So my dad was in the Coast Guard, okay? So we moved around all over the place. We're going to take a tour of the United States in a minute too. But my dad was in the Coast Guard. He taught me so much. He taught me everything from working hard, um, self-discipline. He did everything from that to not always taking stuff so seriously and kind of everything in between. He was a wonderful role model and still is to me. And I just, if whatever he says, especially with car stuff, I just take it as gold. So my dad, wonderful father. My mom is superwoman. I'm just going to put that out right there. You may have wonderful moms, but my mom is superwoman. And I say this because she not only homeschooled three boys, she took care of another brother that has cerebral palsy and is wheelchair-bound. I'll go over him in a minute. And not only that, she taught piano lessons, and now she's teaching music at a local school and doing piano lessons and taking care of my brother, Josh. So I don't know how she does it. I have no idea to this day, and the older I get, the more respect I have for that, because I'm just blown away that she's able to do what she does. So, kids, kids, the Ten Commandments, you know them, right? Honor your father and mother. Yeah, they may not be the best parents in the world. They may, you may not have Wonder Woman as your mom, but you still need to honor them and realize that sometimes they may st say stuff that you aren't sure about, and you're like, I don't know, but... They love you in some form or capacity, and not only will it bring you a long life because they won't kill you, but because God commands us to. So now I'm going to my brothers. We've got Jason. A couple of y'all already know him. He's kind of like the little bit taller. Oh, by the way, I'm a triplet for all y'all who don't know this. There's three of me, and it's, we don't look alike. I know it's kind of scary. But Jason, a little bit taller than me, blonde hair, super smart. He's an engineer. Um, Kind of quiet, but we have a very similar personality in terms of how weird we can be. Once you bust him out of that shell, it's fantastic. So Jason, and then we got my brother Justin, who is like the rebel, the one who would go off and like get in arguments with my parents, and then at the same time be best friends with everybody. He would go run off for weeks on end and then come back. I'll tell you all a little bit more about him a little bit. And then my brother Josh. Now, my brother Josh, I don't know if y'all know what cerebral palsy is. He was born with cerebral palsy, which is kind of like a muscular thing where you either contract it a lot or you have really loose muscles, and his is a mixture. You mix that with mental retardation and mental capacity of a two-year-old, cannot walk. He is, here's your $5 word for the night, incontinent. So kids who don't know that, just ask your parents later. Um, and... He can't take care of himself. He can't really, well, he can say one word. He can say I. So you know the Frito Bandito song? I am the Frito Bandito. Yeah, that's his favorite song. But my mom takes care of him and has been all 27 years of his life. And it just blows me away. So thinking about, about Josh, people could be like, well, Jordan, that, that's terrible. Why, why do you think God allowed that? Well, 
I mean, when we found out that, and we found this out back in utero, that Josh was going to be handicapped. And so we knew this was coming, and God doesn't make mistakes. God doesn't make bad things. He brings everything good into this world. And so Josh was made the exact way he was supposed to be made because that's the way God made him. And he can glorify God through what he does. And it could be as simple as him just laughing hysterically because he just had a cookie. And he, he loves cookies, by the way, but he, because he loves just little things in life. And we get so stressed out. And I know he has blessed other people with his life because they have told me, and he's blessed me. You see people just worrying about little things here, and they're like, oh, I've got to do this later today, and then this, and then this. I have no idea how I'm going to do it. And then you look to Josh, and he's over here having the time of his life with a slinky. And you're thinking, well, how is he so happy? He can't walk. He can't feed. He can hardly feed himself. He can't talk. Why is he so happy? And that's just showing the joy that God can bring all of us completely unfiltered. And really, Josh, that's how his ministry is to people. Even though he can't comprehend some things, he can still bring that joy to other people that I might not ever be able to reach. So moving on to this road trip I was talking about, I was born in New Orleans. I don't remember anything about it because I lived there a year and then we moved out. But I do have one story, and y'all are going to learn. Every place I've lived in, I've had at least one story that I can somehow tie back into how God is awesome. So New Orleans, if y'all ever know my dad, my dad's kind of, he kind of likes to pick on people. Well, someone was driving up on my dad, and you know how people like to ride the back of folks' cars and it kind of irritates you, but you kind of deal with it. Well, my dad decided to slow back all the way to the speed limit. And then as soon as it got to the two lanes, the guy came over, rolled down his window, and pointed a gun at him. And then drove off. And I thought, oh my goodness, my dad could have got shot, and I would have never known him. But you're like, so Dora, what do you take from that? How, how is God glorified through someone threatening your dad's life? Well, it just shows to us how we need God so much more, how we live in such a fallen world with such imperfect people who make just dumb decisions that we just need God that much more. So even though we're imperfect, God can still be glorified even though people make mistakes. So moving on from New Orleans, because I don't remember anything from there, I went to Toledo, Ohio. Now, how someone in the Coast Guard got to Toledo, Ohio, and not like on the coast is beyond me. I still haven't figured that out to this day. But um, the biggest thing I learned from here, I was three or four or five when I lived here. But I, and I know a lot of people remember the exact day, the exact time, the exact moment they got saved. And me... That's not quite the case. I know it was around the ages of four and five, but I remember the story distinctly. Mom was reading us a story from the Bible, and I remember asking Mom, Mom, am I a Christian? And she said, well, Jordan, I don't know. Did you ask Jesus into your heart? And I said, well, I don't know. I guess not. And so I prayed, asked Jesus into my life that, morning, that night. In the morning, it's not like, you know, a beam of light came down and doves everywhere, right? That... None of that happened, but one thing that I do distinctly remember, and it wasn't so much like a weight on my shoulders, but it felt like a, a target on my back almost, like Satan was like, I've got my eye on you, kid, and I remember that, and I 
looking back, and this is interesting, it ties into yesterday's small group we did, which if y'all missed out, you missed out on some wonderful tacos, just saying. But, <laughs> but what it is, is Satan, and this is going back to 1 Peter 5, how Satan is like a roaring lion coming out to get us. You can see him coming. You know he's coming, and he's going to make it known. But that scares people. People get intimidated by that. And we're not, to be, we're not called to be intimidated. Paul talked to Timothy about not being timid, but to being strong. And in Joshua 1, 9, be strong and very courageous. Do not be discouraged or terrified, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And God, he may talk to us in something as crazy as a burning bush or a still small voice when this craziness is going around us. So regardless of what Satan starts yelling at you and telling you and saying, oh, you're not good enough, you're not, you're not strong enough, you're not able to, I'm not, but God is, and he is with me, and I can't do anything in my strength, but through his strength, I can tell this mountain to go throw itself in the ocean. And that kind of peace, that God being there with us, is overwhelming, ever-consuming, and beautifully enveloping. So... Moving on from there to my favorite state I've ever been to, Alaska. And Anchorage, to be exact, kind of the southern part of Alaska. Super cool. Okay, I've got a story I have to tell you that has nothing to do with anything because it was so much fun. So friends, we were at a friend's place, saw a moose. We thought, great idea to throw snowballs at moose. So we did. I had a little wussy arm, so I couldn't reach because, again, I was like eight. So I'm like, oh, I can't throw it. But my brother hit it in the face. Moose got ticked, turned around, and chased at us. Screamed like little kids all the way back to our friend's backyard. It was great. Great. Moral of that story, totally worth it. So what I learned from Alaska, though, and I'm going to actually break this down even more in Virginia, which was the next place I lived, was something that I think a lot of boys, young kids should go through, something called Royal Rangers, which is Christian Boy Scouts, essentially. Um, What it is is I learned a lot. I learned everything from being able to do a, make a primitive tent, uh, do a square knot, learn how to fish correctly, learn, I mean, so much stuff like outdoorsy, which I absolutely love to do. But so much more than that, we learned about God and just basic things from the Bible. Like, I remember there was a motto we learned, which was alert, clean, honest, courageous, loyal, courteous, obedient, and spiritual. And those were things that they just instilled in me and that I keep in my core to this day. And it was something that I really think boys these age, this time, where they're so much like locked into like Xbox and Fortnite and dabbing or whatever, that we need to kind of instill these kind of things in kids. And I think that is important for kids to be able to go out and enjoy God's creation, but at the same time be instilled with these base knowledge and things that Christ has put into his word for us. Oh, and another fun story. So when, so when we would go on these trips called powwows, where we would meet up with a bunch of other ranger groups, and um, being Alaska, there were kids all over from Alaska, Washington State, even Japan. It was super cool. And uh, my dad was the leader, which was even better because my dad was a phenomenal leader. And there was one kid that was sleeping in. His name is T.J. Berg, and he's my friend on Facebook to this day. He actually lives in Atlanta, which is interesting. But um, He was sleeping in, and my dad was like, all right, boys, everybody get up, get up, get up, get up. Everyone got up but T.J. So my dad, who 
being 20 years in the Coast Guard and then in the National Guard beforehand, was like, nope, this isn't going to fly, goes over to his sleeping bag and does what he likes to call the sleeping bag ejection system, where he goes, It's phenomenal. (laughs) So, moving from Alaska, we drove all the way down and got to Fredericksburg, Virginia, which, to give you an idea of where it's at, it's about an hour and a half to our drive, depending on how bad traffic is, from Washington, D.C. I love that place because I like, I'm a kind of a history buff. I like history. So all this um, Revolutionary War stuff, Civil War stuff, everything that went on there, super cool to me. But this is kind of where things got a little interesting for me. This is when I hit my teens, voice changing. I started liking girls a little bit, hormones. Four is a cakewalk, right? Well, I met my friends like, you know, Tim and Connor. I'll talk about Tim in a little bit, but, and I got to really get close to them and really have that tight-knit friendship. But again, here, it was Royal Rangers again. My dad taught, but it was a couple ages under, so I had a different leader. His name was Commander Jim or James Matthews, and he was... He was amazing. He was probably the second most influential man in my life next to my dad. And what was amazing with him was he was very blunt and very honest. He was an old country boy, beautiful beard, by the way. It was fantastic. And he, he taught a lot of base life lessons. From what I gathered, though, he was a fairly new Christian, got saved in his 20s or 30s. He was in his 50s at that time. And he taught us a lot of life lessons. He taught me how to fish well until Becca beat me. Um, to being able to just everything in Royal Rangers, basic just the concepts of the word. But what I learned later on, after I moved from there and looking back at it, was that we should not doubt our faith and should not doubt ourselves when we are secure in Christ. When we are standing on God's word and on God's promises. Because what I remember from him saying, and he said this a few times, it wasn't very often, but he would tell us, hey, if I were to die, would you please pray for me that I would make it to heaven? And then I was like, of course, Commander Jim, I love you so much. I would do anything for you. I pray for you, whatever. Loved him. But looking back, I'm like, why was he so afraid? Because He did tell me before he used to drink a lot. He got rid of alcohol in his life, and now he was turning his life to Christ. And he was a wonderful teacher. But what we need to learn is that we should not doubt our faith. When we are standing on God's word, we should be secure in our faith. And Satan, like I said earlier, like that roaring lion is going to come and try to knock us off. But if we dig into God's word, we start praying and talking with God and really press into God, he will press into you. And when Satan comes and starts throwing those darts at you, trying to knock you off, you can use the word and say, no, Satan, you go away. I'm going to stand on God's word and his promises and you flee. And that is is something that I learned from Commander Jim that he struggled with, but we should never struggle with if we are standing firm in God's promises. So moving on, I lived in a beautiful, wonderful little beach town called Pine Knoll Shores, North Carolina. It was near Moorhead City where that hurricane hit. It was just right there. So when I looked at it, I was like, oh my goodness, no, I hope everyone's okay. And it seemed like everyone, including my first job there, was all okay, but... 
that was where I was found my youth group that I eventually met Becca at. And I loved my pastor there. He was phenomenal. Pastor Patrick. He was this short, old, bald guy who was phenomenal. And to be honest, it wasn't so much the stuff he preached and taught about, though that had a big impact on me. It was my interaction with him outside of church, he had heart surgery, open heart surgery at one point, and he wasn't able to work in his garden. So he, of, of all people, he said, hey, Jordan, can you come, uh, come help like, pick the weeds out of my garden once a week? And I was like, oh, this is teenager me. I'm like, oh, I don't want to work. I don't want to do anything. I don't want to pull weeds. It's hot. I wanted rather sit at my other job, which was called a beach attendant, sitting on the beach, taking chairs and umbrellas out for old people. I was like, can I just go take bare chairs and umbrellas out for old people? I don't want to pull weeds. And he would, he would talk me in over and over and over again, Jordan, come on, please help. And I would, but I would begrudgingly do it. And I look back thinking, why was I like that? Because God's word says that we should be working unto the Lord and not unto man. So why should I, especially the pastor, why should I be like this, a man after God's own heart, be so begrudging because if we're going to be working unto the Lord, the one who made everything, everything good, made us, made everyone we love, if we're going to work for him, why should we not do that with a joyful heart? So that's what I took from that. And then second was my friend Josh from North Carolina. This guy, he was on fire for God. He was ready to go be a youth pastor. He had super long, beautiful Jesus hair and Jesus beard. He was like ready to go. And then as soon as we moved, he, thought, he had the thought of, okay, and I'm going to give you an analogy here. All right, I'm going to stand up here because I'm a Christian, and I'm going to pull people up and save them. And all these unsaved friends of mine, I'm strong enough in my faith. I can do this. Well, when you do that and you surround yourself with people who cannot support you, you could try all you want, no matter how strong you are, you will get pulled down. And unfortunately for him, he became an atheist. I love him to death to this day. He's still my brother, but at the same time, he became an atheist. He's kind of lost his way. He, he's actually living in Utah. It's, I think, Yosemite National Park. He's out there, him and his hippie self. And I keep up with him every once in a while, but it's just be sure to surround yourself with people who you can rely on with your faith. Not saying that you can't have friends who aren't Christian because, honestly, God puts them in our life for a reason. And we're to love them just as much as anybody else. But if you start having internal struggles and questions and, you know, you're starting to fall away, that's where you come back to the church. Because as the body of Christ, we have a role we play. Not everyone's an ear, not everyone's an eye, not everyone's a nose. And Say, for instance, if I were a nose, I could smell, but I can't hear, and that's my weakness. So I come back to someone who is better at hearing and saying, hey, look, this is my problem. Can you help me? We lean on each other and work together as the body of Christ, the unified body of Christ. And that's the importance of having people who are saved with you. Now to Alabama. <laughs> Moved here to Auburn 12 years ago. I remember the exact day because it was 7707. It was weird. But I moved here. Eventually, my parents moved out. They went to Mobile. 
went to work at a boys' ranch, and now they're in Branson, Missouri. Brother is in Daphne now, and um, I work at East Alabama. Now, one interesting thing about East Alabama was self-control and willing to put yourself in an uncomfortable situation when you really don't want to go there. Because my dad, he would say, he said over and over again, Jordan, you need to get this scholarship. You need to get this scholarship through East Alabama. And my first route was I was going to go to the Navy ROTC at Auburn, get the scholarship there, and go into the Navy. Well, I went in, I did the interview, and apparently went to every single checkoff until the very end when they knocked me off. I said, well, I guess I'm going to Southern Union again. So I went to Southern Union, and then Dad's like, hey, Jordan, there's a scholarship at East Alabama. You need to go do this. I'm like, I don't want to. He's like, Jordan, do it. I don't want to. Jordan? And he'd, give me a, he'd be like, Jordan? That's his voice, exactly, to a T. Isn't that right? So, and eventually, on the very last day, I got it all filled out, turned it in, and it was God's will because I not only got that scholarship, I got a job as a care tech, an MCT, on the seventh floor, got my first job on that floor, which then opened me to my current job as a wound care nurse. So if it wasn't for, again, obeying your parents and really taking a step out of your comfort zone, I wasn't going to ever get that job. I might not even be working at East Alabama if that wasn't for my dad. So that actually wasn't in the script. That was just kind of off key. But <laughs> so really, so when we, uh, meeting Becca, I met her through my youth group in North Carolina, but I was living in Alabama. This is a God thing now, mind you. I don't know if I ever told any of y'all this, but I went, I was told by my youth pastor in North Carolina, hey, we're going to this church camp in New York. It's going to be awesome. You should come. I'm like, I don't know. We just moved here. It would be fun. I do like the people out of my old youth group. So I was like, sure, why not? And then as soon as I walked into Miss Robin's house, there she was. Beautiful light shining down. (laughs) Doves. And her monkey PJ pants playing rock band too. And I was like, who's that? Oh. And mind you, I had a girlfriend at the time. So we, we, I, eventually, I eventually broke up with her, which was probably the ha- second happiest day of her life. Next to marrying me, of course. But, but I knew right then that was a God thing. Because I wouldn't have known Becca because she was the youth pastor's niece's friend. Now, how, and we met in a New York church camp. If that's not a God thing, I don't know what is. God working through that, and then I found out she lived in Atlanta, and I'm like, two-hour drive? That ain't nothing. So God works in ways when we just break out of our comfort zone, and we start moving out of that comfort zone. And if we are willing to take that step through that door he opens, amazing things happen. So next, I went to church Lakeview, fantastic church, met Zach there, and one thing I felt there was there and then Church of the Highlands, not that they're not wonderful churches, because they are Bible-based, wonderful preaching churches. The problem I had with it wasn't family, and I wanted family, and then, and so we would go and buy churches, churches one after another, and eventually I found Auburn Fellowship. And I was like, this place is pretty great. These people are all right. That Keith guy seems okay. (laughs) 
And I was like, okay. And I started getting to know the people there and knowing them. And I was like, oh, my goodness, this is pretty great. I think I should stay. And I did. And then it closed. And I was like, you're kidding me. I just started liking these people. Oh, my goodness. And then I found out about Compass Church. And I'm like, I'm on. Let's go. When are we going? It's this week? No, next week? Oh, I got to wake a week? Fine. Okay. Loved it ever since. It's the family community that makes the church. And so, now I know this was all the fun part, but this is kind of where my life really kind of hit hard on me. This is spread out through the 12 years I've lived here, mind you. So this wasn't day after day after day. But when I first became a nurse, I had a very rough first year. I worked from 3 to 11, terrible shift, by the way, don't ever work that as a nurse, but I worked from 3 to 11, and I was not only stressed out, but I had three patients in my first year die. Me, someone who, like, I get, I don't show a lot of emotion sometimes, but when it's something that I take pride in and I feel like I failed, then I broke down. My very first patient that died, I remember distinctly being in the main nurse's station. I don't even know why. I just broke down crying. And people are like, oh, hold up, hold up. And then they had to, like, come console me and everything. I literally had to ask off work the next day because I couldn't do it. I couldn't function. I was like, I can't do this. And this is how I knew Becca was going to be fantastic. Because she drove down from Columbus, we were still dating, and was there with me. So that was the first, my first run-in with death. Second was my friend Tim. Now, my friend Tim, if y'all have ever met Tim, this guy was tall tale telling Tim. He would make up stuff, and I loved him to death, but he would talk it out 100 miles an hour in all the directions. But I remember one day he called, and he said, hey, man, I need about, I think it was around $3,000. I said, what? Hold up. Why? And he's like, oh, I'm back. I'm late on rent. And I'm like, hmm. I can't help you there because that's too much for him. I don't know what's going on. I don't feel comfortable with this. I don't feel like this is the right thing to do. Forgot all about it. A couple weeks later, his parents called me and said, hey, Tim is dead. And I said, what? And he, they said, yeah, what happened was he, him and his wife, they went to a car dealership, said they're going to test drive a car, stole it, found out that passed a cop, the headlight was out. They got stopped by the cop. My friend Tim was in the passenger seat, wife in the driver's seat. And the cop, and this is from the reports I remember seeing, said that he looked kind of unsure, kind of fidgety, pulled a gun out on the cop, and the cop, in his defense, shot him dead. And I was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe that happened. And immediately, this Satan came at me, and he said, look, it's your fault. Because if you gave him that money, he'd still be alive right now. And I'm like, I was fighting with that for months. And I was like, I don't know what to do with this. I, I feel terrible. I felt like it's my fault. But at the same time, I was struggling back and forth with, well, it's not my fault because you did the right thing in the right circumstance. But the what if kept sitting there. And I read in Philippians 4.8, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think on these things. So when Satan came at me and he put these nagging little what-ifs in my mind, I said, no, Satan, 
I'm not doing this because I knew what I did was right. I prayed about it, and I said, I'm, I know I didn't do anything wrong. And I'm just like Job. He did not do anything wrong, yet he lost his family. He lost all his possessions. He almost lost his life, and he didn't sin. He continued to trust God. And I said, God, Satan's coming at me. I'm going to trust in you right here because I don't know what else to do. And I just said, you know what? I'm going to start thinking on your promises and your good things that you put in my life, and I'm going to move forward. And since then, I've had peace with it, knowing I made the correct decision, knowing that we live in a fallen world, we live with people who make mistakes, and that though that was not part of God's will, and that he had the free will to do so, that it was still something that I didn't cause, but at the same time was something that even though he messed up, it was okay. It was okay. I was, it was well with me, within my soul. Now, talking about Justin. Now, this is Playboy Justin, who would take girls out on long excursions, I found out later, in South Carolina, and go be a ladies' man. So, Justin, two years older than me, he, we were working at the Surfside Water Park. I don't know if you all remember that place. We were working there one summer, and he got really sick, and we're like, doing? Get off the couch. Come on. Go. What are you doing? And he got sicker, sicker, and uh, eventually he couldn't get off the couch. Got taken to Columbus. I don't know why we didn't take him to East Alabama. Went, took him to Columbus Regional. Found out he, and this was right after I got out of high school, so I didn't know all the medical stuff I do now. Found out he had some sort of staphylococcal pneumonia, and he got admitted, he got intubated, and he died there. So initially, I didn't really, I was in shock. I didn't know what to do. I wasn't sure of it. I didn't know how to react. Everyone came and surrounded us. My dad's work, they helped us. Church helped us. Friends were there for us. So I felt loved, but I didn't know how to react. And then one day, about two or three weeks afterwards, I don't know why. I was just driving home. I wasn't even thinking of anything. You know how we guys, we like to like zone out in our own little boxes. I was just zoned out, and then I just started crying, and I didn't know why. And I was like, I, as, as much as this guy pushed my buttons, and he's the only brother I've ever, ever gotten a fight with, I miss him. And I was like, God, why did this happen? I'm like, why is he dead? He, he wasn't even 20. Why? Why? It was before his 20th birthday. I don't know why it was happening. And I didn't know what to do. And looking back, I said, God, what, what am I going to learn from this? Because this, again, fallen world, God didn't cause it. Why did this happen? There had to be a reason this happened. And I was thinking back and thinking back and thinking back. And then I remembered his life. Justin, he had no strangers. He was friends with everybody. He would go up to some random buddy and act like he knew him forever. He was the biggest showboat in the entire world. He would go skateboard. He said he was with like a skateboard team or whatever, and he wasn't. He was terrible at it, but I never told him that. He would go, and he'd grind a rail, and he'd fall, and he'd lay on the ground and do that. If any of y'all watch Family Guy, that Peter Griffin thing where he's grabbing his knee. Ah, the whole time for like a solid 10 minutes. And I'm like, Justin, what are you doing? Ah, I'm like, Justin, get up. So for him, he had no fear. Me, I was a timid little, little guy that 
in chemistry class of my senior year, I remember doing a speech, and I froze. I was just stood there, lights hitting me. I'm like, what is happening? I remember it felt like 40 years, and then I just mumbled a couple words and walked off. But then what I found out was Justin's life, he had courage. Why shouldn't I have this courage? I learned Joshua 1.9 way back before Justin passed. And God brought that up. And he said, look, be strong and courageous. Justin was, why can't you? And I said, you know what? Why can't I be? And since then, I have done things that back in the day in high school, I would have never done. I remember one band that was here, 11 D7, way back in the day after Justin passed. They did a shout-out to him, and I hopped on stage because I messaged him on MySpace. Yes, MySpace was a thing, kids. Okay? I hopped up on stage, and I gave him hugs, and I ran off. And Jason's like, Jordan, what are you doing? Because Jason's the quiet one, right? What are you doing? I'm like, hey, man, this is what Justin would have done. So it was that courage that Justin taught me to be strong and courageous. God put that courage in our lives. We have that strength. All we need to do is, again, step of faith and go and do it. And then, as of recently, the death of my granddad, this guy, oh my goodness, he taught me so much. I remember going to visit him in Iowa, and we would go out to the zoo out there. We went out on his farm, and he had his mow. I don't know why he made us mow. I guess because free labor. I don't know. We would go mow it on the there. We went to his barn. I looked through all his cool toys. He collected all the coolest old tin toys, and I and he they still have it up at his house where my grandma lives, and they're the coolest things. And so, with that. I've learned a lot from granddad's life after he passed. He had esophageal cancer. He was battling it for two years, but it was stage four. And when they found out, it was too late, so they made him comfortable. And when he passed, when we went, and I've told some of you all this, it wasn't really very sad. Now, yes, it was sad. We did cry some, but it was a celebration of his life, as I felt as it should have been, because he was a wonderful man, was in the FBI, never told us any of the stories. I kind of wish he did, but I think that might have gotten him like shot or something. I don't know. But he, what I learned from him was through his life, first, it's okay to be a kid, and it's okay to love it. We're to have faith of a child. That's what Jesus said, where we don't really know what's going to happen, but we trust in Christ for what we do, and then we take those steps of faith, and then things work out that we may not have seen, but God planned perfectly before we were even born. So that childlike faith, and then second was family is there for you in your last days, whether you like them or not. And we had a discussion about a month or two before he passed with my family, and it got a little heated. But what we came together to realize, we're here for the same purpose, to do the best thing for our granddad. And so whether your family is blood or if it's friends that you consider family, Family is important. God puts them in your life to support you and love you. And don't ever discredit them. They're the ones that will be with you on those very last days. So with all that being said, the last bit that I have learned was when I got here, I remember Alan and Michelle asked, hey, you guys want to do kids ministry? And I'm like, what? Hold up. Kids ministry? I'm like, I've, I've never felt like that was something that I was going, I was like 
God was like, yes, you shall be a children's minister and you shall reign all the children in as beautiful sheep. No way. Never happened in a million years. I'm like, I don't know a whole lot about kids. I don't know how to teach kids. I don't, I, I, I stay away from Chuck E. Cheese. You kidding me? No, I don't do that. Well, it's been interesting what I've learned. And one is, two things actually. First, that I first thought for a long time, I was like, I'm not, I just feel like I'm babysitting these kids. I'm just sitting here and I'm watching them and I'm not learning anything myself. Well, interesting thing, when those tornadoes came through, what our lesson was on was praying for others. And when we came down here to pray for those people, I was like, that's a God thing. If that's not a God thing happening, I don't know what is. And teaching those kids to pray for others and then redoing it that night was amazing to me. And God said, look, I told you we're doing something for you. You just have to open your eyes. And I said, God, you're right as always. And then the second thing that I thought was interesting, and this was from Sunday, was I was, and this is hilarious to me. We were teaching the kids about leprosy. And I was talking about what leprosy is. Yeah, your fingers fall off, your toes might fall off. And they're like, what about going to the bathroom? What if their butt falls off? <laughs> I normally keep my composure with them because I'm their leader. I couldn't. I died. I'm done. I was like, no, nope, we're done. I lost them. You kids, go outside and go play. I'm done. It was fantastic. So kids say the funniest things. I love it. I don't even have kids. I have a dog. So... <laughs> With all that being said, if someone was like, all right, Jordan, I didn't pay attention, I fell asleep, what is your takeaway from your testimony? It's rejoice in the Lord always. Philippians 4.4, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Paul wrote that in prison. He was chained up, and he was praising God. Walls came crashing down, and through that praising, and through the guards seeing these walls come down, saying, what God are you serving? Can I serve him as well? So we need to rejoice the Lord in everything. And from when my story, when my house got broken into, and I've gone through this, I, that's why I didn't hit it this time, to deaths in the family, to moving over and over and over again, trying to find new friends, trying to find new people to connect with. Am I going to have new friends? Am, or anything like that. What we need to realize is we need to take God priority first and rejoice in him always. And when we keep our focus on God, it's like Paul when he, or Peter when he was walking on the water. He was focusing on God, and even though everything's crazy going around us, and we've got things worrying us like, oh, you've got this test coming up tomorrow. Oh, you've got this patient that's going to worry you sick tomorrow. Or you've got this thing, these bills, this money. It doesn't matter. When you keep your focus on God, all of it just fades away, and you keep it, and you can do miraculous things. So that's how we should always be, is to bring joy to others by keeping our eyes on God. So let me pray. Father, thank you for bringing us here together tonight, God, being able to fellowship with you and being able to grow closer to you, God. And I pray, Father, that we will keep our eyes on you, that we will keep our focus on you, and that when these things come around us, when death, when destruction, when things come around us that make us worry and make us unsure that we can come to you as our rock and as our salvation, our fortress that we run to, and that you are the great provider. 
And we will continue to come to you, Father, knowing that all good things come for you and that we will rejoice in you always. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.